Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at intrepidwater.com. We met Yoop Baus a few episodes back in the retelling of Carolyn Anderson's Swim Down the Derwent River. Be sure to check out her journey episodes if you haven't already. Today, we'll find out how Yoop, a pool swimmer from the Netherlands, ended up moving to Australia, taking up open water swimming, then tackling the 34 kilometers down the Derwent River in Tasmania several decades and life events later. We talk about the balancing act that is marathon swim scheduling with a family when everyone needs to go in different directions at the same time, how the confidence gained from swimming pays off in other areas of your life, what it's like to plan feeds with a nutritionist, and that warm fuzzy feeling that you get when you help others. I'm intrigued at how Yoop describes seeing other swimmers training for long swims encouraged him to test his mettle. Commonly, we need extrinsic motivation to try new things, yet comparing ourselves to others can also be toxic. Perhaps it's a paradox of human existence. What do you think? Reach out to me, shannon at intrepidwater.com. I hope you enjoy Yoop's story. Yoop. It's good to see you again. We just met you a couple, oh gosh, I guess it's been a month or two or three or four since you guys were down in Derwent, but we met you at uh, the retelling of Carolyn's swim down the Derwent River, and I wanted to get you here today to hear a little bit about your story, but I want to start with, tell me, how do you describe your relationship with water? Oh, hi, Shannon. First, thanks for having me in your uh, podcast. That's really nice. I, I really uh, like following some of your podcasts and some of your other uh, sermons that you've been interviewing. My relationship with water, um, it's always been a, a love-hate relationship. I've always been uh, in the water. I, I started swimming, I think, when I was five or six. Uh, learned to swim when I was around that age. I started to do my first swim races when I was around 10 years old. But then it's sort of once you, you're swimming well and uh, you start more training and, and sometimes it feels like work and you have to get up early and uh, you, you miss other things because you, you like the swimming and swimming was has always been my passion. It's sort of one of the red lines through, through my life. But yeah, I feel a, sometimes a bit of hate-love relationship. I love the racing, the uh, meeting friends, seeing other people doing well. But sometimes I hate when you, you know the, the water when you when you get an injury or or you cannot get up in the morning and you have to go to the swimming pool because you have these goals set. So I, yeah, it's it's more love than hate. But yeah, sometimes it's hard to get yourself in the in the water and um, 
especially moving more to the marathon swimming. I used to be a pool swimmer in my younger years. I feel the mental part of swimming rather than the physical, uh, very challenging to swim for a long, uh, long time, hours and hours and hours in the water. I find it more challenging than, than, than the physical aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, when you started swimming around five or six, you were right there in Australia. <laughs> where, where were you? Where'd you get started swimming? No, I was in a cold country called the Netherlands and everything swimming-wise in those days happened indoors. So I was always swimming the, uh, indoors in the, in the 25-meter pool for memory. I think a friend of mine invited me to join his uh, swimming lessons and I think I probably was seven or eight that when I started doing the swim training. So once I learned to swim, I went with him to do a few swim trainings. I must have been around eight or nine years old. Uh, and that was all in uh, indoor, 25-meter pools. Very, very, very crowded. Ten kids per lane in a 25-meter pool. <laughs> uh, but it, it was fun. It was something that uh, I could get my energy out. It was fun. And, and I didn't know any uh, any better than now in Australia. Like in Australia, you're always swimming outside. Completely different. But in those days... Yeah, I didn't really know any better. We're always swimming inside. In the summer, where you were lucky, when the weather was fine, then, then uh, we went to the outdoor pool. But uh, that's how it started. A friend of mine took me to the swimming lessons or the swim training, and I uh, started swimming. What's it like in the Netherlands for access to lessons and stuff? Was it pretty common for kids to learn to swim when they're little? Or Yeah, so very, very uh, common... Um, uh, at school, you had to join the swimming lessons. That's where it really uh, started. So at uh, primary school, you had to, like learning maths, you had to learn to swim. Everybody had to get two diplomas, they call that. So like certification that you were allowed by yourself in the pool. There was a uh, A diploma. I'm not sure what the requirements were, but I think you had to tread water. You had to swim breaststroke. And then with the B diploma, you had to swim on the water. I think you had to learn a sort of a backstroke as well. And then what I remember is you got these little cotton certificates, which has a big A written on, and your mom would sew that on your Speedos. <laughs> and then when you got your B, that was sewn on the other side of your Speedos. And then you walked proudly to the swimming pool and the, and the lifeguard saw that you had your two diplomas and then you were allowed in the pool by yourself. I think with the A diploma, you were allowed in the undeep where you could stand up. And in the, uh, with the B diploma, you were allowed to swim in the, in the deep end. And that was celebrated. Your grandparents and your family would come around. and It was a big achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I remember like this summer, I was I think I was six and I learned how to swim across the pool. And then I got this little patch with like a fish on it. And it, that meant that I could go in the deep end. But then we moved to a different state. I lived in Virginia at the time. And then we moved to Colorado and I never got to use my fish patch. But anyway, <laughs> back to your story. Yep, yep. <laughs> what? But I love the memory of the patches. Thank you. <laughs> so you started club swimming when you were pretty young. Where did the water take you from the, so you got into club swimming, did some competitions and things. Where did you go from there? I think I started uh, training once or twice a week and then uh, you move uh, to five times a week. Yeah, just go up the ladder, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah up, up the ladder. And uh, I was a good breaststroke swimmer, 50 meters and 100 meters to sprint. And then you go in the, um, in the state championship. And then I moved from the town where I grew up to a uni uh, town, uh, more training, training twice a day, 
swimming the nationals. So that was, that was all, all fun. I, I loved the racing. I wasn't really focused on the training, but I loved those 30 seconds at, on race day in, in the pool. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> I'll remember that when we get to the marathon swimming part. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit different, bit different now. And from, I think I was around 12, 12 or 13, I also started playing water polo. But that was sort of a side thing that I, that almost all the swimmers in my little hometown, we only had one or two water polo teams. So you, you almost automatically ended up in that team as well. So in my teenage years, I, I literally spent all my time in, in the pool. On the weekend, I might be uh, playing a game on Saturday, swimming, racing on the Sunday, then helping with refereeing as well uh, with water polo. I also coached the water polo team. So yeah, well, it was uh, swimming in the morning to school, swimming, water polo in the, at night, cycling home. My mom had my dinner uh, warmed up and I was eating always by myself in front of the TV <laughs> uh, and then homework and I'm back to uh, school. So uh, schoolwork sometimes uh, didn't take always the priority mm, of swimming. Mm-hmm, but, uh, right. <laughs> so in, in my uni days, still kept swimming, but then also the injuries uh, started with the sprinting, so shoulder injuries, knee injuries from breaststroke, but always I also was doing a PE degree. So all the jumping on trampolines and running. Then I found out that I was really prone to injuries, especially my shoulder, my back, my knees. So I couldn't swim breaststroke anymore. So I only did freestyle in, in the pool. And I yeah, I didn't really enjoy swimming at that moment anymore. So I think in 2000, my last swimming race, that was at the um, World Championship Masters. There was something easy to qualify for. And that seemed to be something fun to do. That was in Munich. So eight or nine hour drive from where where I was so that was uh, achievable to get there when we were camping and then we did swim our races and that, that was fun to just uh, participate and swim in the uh, in the Olympic uh, stadium but then I sort of uh, yeah stopped stopped swimming for uh, years uh, until uh, I moved really to Australia. And how long ago was that? Yeah so I stopped swimming in 2000 so I was those masters races I think I was around 30 or 31 and then in 2006, I moved to Australia. So in the years before that, I met my wife and she's British Australian. So I went to Australia a few times and we caught up and something romantic uh, started. And because she had a British passport, she could uh, come to the Netherlands. And so we lived in the Netherlands for a few years together. Um, I got my visa organized and we moved to Australia in 2006. And still not really swimming, working. and um, didn't even think about swimming till a colleague said to me, hey, you, uh, we need a um, swimmer for our um, triathlon team. So we did a triathlon event. Triathlon is massive here in Australia. I only had to swim 1,500 meters, which seems seemed okay. I did a little bit of training and I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. It's open water swimming. Yeah, do you done open water swimming before? No, in, in the Netherlands, uh, sometimes we swim a, uh, maybe a, a 2k um, race in the uh, in the open water in the, in the summertime just because the official training stopped during summertime so we kept ourselves fit and doing some of those races but i hated them i couldn't pace myself the water was cold <laughs> uh, it was very out of my comfort zone rather than you know two laps in the pool i knew what i was doing but in the open water i was you know, i couldn't really pace myself i went too fast out and was struggling the whole time so Anyway, in in Australia, this, this was quite fun because you started on the beach, you ran in the water, the water was nice and warm. 
uh, you swim one and a half k, raced, and, and and I love that racing aspect. And then uh, yeah, from there I started swimming again, joined squats, and uh, yeah, that's how the open water swimming uh, started from the pool swimming. If it wasn't that pleasant of an experience in the Netherlands, what was it about your colleagues suggesting you do it in Australia? Was it just like, oh, well, give it a try again? Or Yeah, well, I was more helping him out and I wasn't fit at all. And I thought, okay, I'm going to train for eight weeks in the pool and I'll be fine. But then my son was born and I didn't realize how much of an impact that was on your life. And there was no training at all. So I was quite struggling in the race, but I thought, no, this was fun because... Then we started doing lots of those 1,500 and 2Ks on the beautiful beaches here in Australia. And we often made a weekend out of it. And we stayed in a, in a nice hotel. Dad did his crazy uh, swim and the kids played on the beach. And that was quite fun. That's, that's how it started really with those triathlon swims and uh, 2K ocean swims. Were you biking and running also or just swimming? No, no, no. So I, I was only doing the, the swim leg in the team. And this was initially Olympic distance, so I was swimming at 1,500 meters. My colleague uh, was doing the uh, bike leg, and then another friend was doing the run leg. So triathlon brings you into the open water in Australia. And then at what point are you like, hmm, I know, I'm going to swim a lot further than this 1,500 meters, right? I think I did those triathlons for five, six years, and then I... Um, Yes, signed up for a 2K event, and then I signed up for a 3.8K event. And then I started meeting crazy people that done English channels and uh, crazy stuff like this. Yeah, I sort of got, in via squats, I got into this group of swimmers that were training for Rottnest, I mean, Rottnest Island Swim, which is a um, 20K or 19.7K event in uh, Western Australia, and uh, they've done an English channel. And I started swimming with them, and then I thought, Oh, if they can do it, maybe I, I can do something like that as well. But I couldn't imagine how much hours you would need to spend to swim 20Ks because I was still in my mind a pool swimmer, really. And I was training uh, twice a day to train for 50 meters or 400 meters. So how could you possibly train for 20 kilometers? I didn't understand how that worked. I always thought that that's not something for me. That's I don't have, you know, there's no time to do uh, to all of that training. But when you then start talking to people that, that have done those swims and uh, understand what sort of training is involved. And it's, of course, there's a lot of training involved, but I thought then uh, that's achievable. And yeah, I started doing a 5K and a 10K. And then after the 10K, then I started sort of thinking about a 20K. And that, that's when I hooked up with a coach who made a, a specific plan for me. So then I did, yeah, for those 20K, started to do uh, a bit of serious planning and, uh, and, and training because then I, I realized that nutrition was very important uh, part of that as well. And what I've done and had done so far till 10Ks, I sort of did that by myself, trained three times a week. And that was sort of achievable by myself. But when it sort of got over the 10K to watch 20K and, and longer, then I realized, no, this needs more planning. This needs, yeah, especially the nutrition side of things. I didn't really know anything about it because I... My nutrition was before or after the swim, but never during during any any swimming. That was that was completely uh, new to me. Right. Yeah. What do you think it was that made you want to swim further? Were you still doing racing at this point with like five k's and ten k's? Are you still thinking of it as a race? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was a race. Uh, that was getting a good uh, placing in your age group or getting uh, as fast uh, as possible from A to B. And then when it sort of got 
behind that 10k the 20k was more wasn't really a race for me but it was more in uh yeah, getting from a to b and 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 my my goal was more to be in a, in a consistent pace and uh, yeah getting from a to b that was all that matters so how do you think you made that shift from i'm trying to win my a's to get a place in my age group to like i'm just going to get to the other side i think that's um Mostly in, in getting, of, of course, I still want to be as fast as possible or do well for myself. It was more the, uh, yeah, the, the shift of make it an achievement for myself to finish that. And, and that happens for me at, at training as well. Try to swim consistent during the training. But yeah, the mental change from racing, I'm not sure if I ever made it because when I look at the TV and I see uh, Olympics or uh, Australian Championship, I, I I, I never think about oh the 1500 meter uh, race is coming up. I always I still think oh this 50 meter breast that's what I used to do or 100 freestyle. I'm probably still a sprinter disguised as a marathon server. To be honest, <laughs> to be just honest. got caught up with a bunch of crazy kids. <laughs> but, but I love racing myself as well. Often I train in the pool by myself and and I have uh, a certain pace that I want to achieve. So I, I think I'm still racing. I think that's maybe the mental, no, I think about it, the mental change, racing against somebody else versus racing yourself. Doing the best you can rather than uh, winning, but still felt maybe, you know, in the, in the past I would win, but I didn't feel good about my race uh, rather than you now just uh, feeling good about your race is the most important thing, I think. And, and especially with this open water swimming, you cannot really compare any, 5k to another uh, 5k because the ball marathon swimmers will know that there's different current there's different weather there's different uh, circumstances yeah it's that that took a long time for me to especially i think when i still was racing those 2ks and 3ks and 3.8ks i still compared my time to the previous race might have been on a different uh, ocean or different day different circumstances but yeah you cannot really do that whether as a 50 meter breaststroke in one pool is almost the same as a 50 meter race in, a, in pool B. So uh, Yeah, right. Yeah. That took a long time, I think, to move away from the racing uh, aspect. Uh-huh. I'm wondering, can you take us back to like your first swim where you kind of decided this was big? You know, for some people, it might be like their first 5K is kind of a big swim or maybe, or for maybe the, the 10K was like a first really big push for you. And like, what did it feel like to finish that event? Or which one was it first? And then you can tell us how, <laughs> how it went, what it felt like. <laughs> Yeah, my first 10K was a uh, race, or oh, that was around an island. That was in uh, Fiji. So Fiji is a few hours from Australia. We went there on a, on a holiday and I did the 10K swim. And you start on one side of the island and then you swim around and finished on the other side of the island. Beautiful setting. And uh, I was flying as a sprinter in the first few Ks, but then I completely uh, didn't properly eat or have didn't feed didn't drink I felt so so great so I, I kept on racing and racing and I was struggling at the end so I, but I, when I finished and you run up that beach after your first 10k I, I felt uh, fantastic I thought this is awesome I think especially the, the finish of then the achievement of swimming around an island in Fiji that was just uh, beautiful I always have fun memories of that 10k and and I still think about that race as well because now a 10k is is just it's just a training swim and, and and then I was madly training for I think for five or six months to swim this 10k which a few years before that was even not thinkable 
because I couldn't imagine how much you would have to train for to swim 10Ks. And, and, and now it's part of a training swim. It's, it's now an ever off. It's still a long training swim, but we... You just put it in there, though. It was just another day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, not, not at the same pace, but yeah. So it's a mental shift. Then you realize, not for myself, but also with the other swimmers, with more experienced swimmers that, than me, but also with new swimmers that join our group, that it's, yeah, it's, it's a really a mental shift that you can do so much more than you uh, think you can. I think that's the, uh, for everybody, or for, for me, and for some uh, some other friends, eye openers that you uh, that you can do much more than you think you can. Yeah, for sure. I love that your first ten k was around an island in Fiji because I just love the idea of like being able to just you know people bike and run places, sure. But it's like to be able to swim around something like there's I don't know that's it just feels really good just be able to like oh yeah I swam there <laughs> swam around that place. Yeah, exactly. And, and relatively, not a lot of people do it. it. It feels like a lot of people do it when you're sort of in, in a group of right. 25 swimmers here in Brisbane that all have sort of similar goals, uh, maybe at different time sets, but we're all... So it feels like a, a big group. But yeah, if you put it in perspective compared to running or, or cycling, yeah, there's not a lot of people that swim down rivers or around islands. Yeah. What was it after the 10K? After the 10k, uh, after that 10k, I did another uh, 10k, and I was still sort of training by myself. I, I was swimming in a in, in a squat, but uh, but not really focusing uh, on on. Oh, I didn't have a really uh, like a swim plan to swim at 10k. So I did two or three 10ks over a period of three or four years, and and lots of those two and three and five k's in, in between. That's when I met uh, other uh, marathon swimmers that were. Uh, swimming for a, um, a swim like Rodnest Channel, which we swim from Perth to an island, Rodnest Island in Western Australia in a straight line. And then I was, I started thinking, yeah, if, if this person can swim it, I might be able to do that as well. And then um, I started yeah, to, uh, to joining this uh, swimming community here in, uh, in Brisbane found a coach who uh, wrote a plan, a weekly plan. You know, if you want to swim 20Ks in uh, January, then you have to start here in September and we'll work our way up. We've got a block of three weeks. Every week we swim 15K and then we've got a rest week, which is only five or 6K. And there's a block of uh, three weeks of 20K, rest week, 25K. And then, and then I realized that, okay, so you don't have to really swim 20Ks in a training as long as you swim every day 5k and maybe on the weekend you swim a longer swim you can achieve that and because we were with a group of i think 10 12 swimmers we were not only all swimming in the same squat but we were all following the same programs so on the uh, weekends we swim longer swim together then i started thinking yeah i can uh, did this i can uh, can pull this off yeah how did kind of the marathon swimming, kind of the realization of like, oh, I can do more than I think I could. Has that like paid off in any other parts of your life? Well, I used to work in IT and uh, six, seven years ago, I started um, my own business as a, uh, as a freelance photographer. And that was a bit uh, daunting uh, in- initially because you have, at a later age, uh, you have to start from scratch uh, building up a business. And uh, I did pull that off uh, as well. and I. Yeah, I realized. Yeah, yeah, I can. No, I can start my own business, and I can really, uh, really do this. So, I, if there's a comparison about open water swimming and uh, you're yeah, finding new goals, this was definitely uh, 
goal as well that I uh, was able uh, to achieve. And then COVID hit us. <laughs> right, of course, right? What every new business owner wants, right? <laughs> no, that it, yeah, maybe that's a comparison. And I suppose raising children is is a little bit uh, maybe like that as well. There's, there's, it's that that's probably even challenging because you don't get a manual or you don't get a plan. You you have to sort of figure out a lot of things yourself. And they're growing up uh, great, so I think we're. Uh, we're doing a good job. So. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how the marathon swimming's impacted your family. Is your wife on board? Well, you started out at a vacation in Fiji and she let you swim around the island. So that sounds like you're... <laughs> she loves the vacations. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this, that, that's, to be honest, challenging. And my whole family supports me and, and, and they love uh, what I'm doing, but they they don't have that swimming background and they, they don't get up at... Uh, 3 30 or 4 30 in the morning to get ready and and i'm I'm a morning person because my alarm is set for 3 a.m or 4 a.m and my wife is more a night person so that that's uh that's sometimes a challenge in the morning the school runs and uh and my wife works, works for a um, consultancy that also has offices in uh, las vegas so she often has early uh early meetings when i'm doing the swim and when when uh the kids have to be dropped off at the train station. So yeah, that that's sometimes causes a little bit of stress and, uh, and, and planning, but we do manage. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of planning. <laughs> that's, my kids are getting old enough to where it's like, okay, how do I drop them off here and over there and pick them up there and get to the pool? <laughs> it's like, And we, we sort of look at it from week to week because I, uh, w- with my photography, I'm a freelancer, so I can often plan my work around a big swim or I can plan the big swims around the work. I don't have an eight to nine job. So it's it's sometimes late night, sometimes very early morning, sometimes uh, um, just working at home, uh, editing photos from, from events. So then I can plan that time around other things. So that generally works out uh, pretty good, actually. What is swim freedom? It's the freedom to start swimming when you don't think you have the skill, ability, or time. The freedom to swim with ease. The freedom to enjoy your time in the water. The freedom to swim further than you ever thought possible. What's holding you back? Let's talk about it. Shannon at IntrepidWater.com The other thing is then, if I compare swimming in Australia to swimming in the Netherlands, the weather is always fantastic. So you can you can swim in the open water any day of the of the year. However, in the summer it's already it could be 30 degrees at 7 a.m. So that, that's why we often swim even in the dark or in the early early mornings to to stay out of the sun because uh, the, the sun is just brutal here. But in, in the winter it's an advantage because you could yeah you could swim during the day. Um, the water here in the um, in the ocean and the lakes gets down to 15, 16 degrees. As 15, 16 degrees is uh, 60. I've got my chart here, 60 uh, Fahrenheit. That's in the middle of the winter, so it doesn't get colder than that. So that's pretty good if you're training for an open water swim. The English Channel is on for me th- this year, so that temperature is perfect to uh, prepare for, uh, for a swim like this. So yeah, we're very lucky that we can swim all around the year in Australia. Because I was talking to a friend in the Netherlands, and they uh, yeah, they're sometimes struggling to find time in, in 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 the pool, or the schools are in the pool all day long indoors, and then they can swim from eight p.m. at night only, or seven p.m. So yeah, it is 
we're, we're very lucky here in, in Australia that you, yeah, that you can swim every day of the year outdoors. And that's in Brisbane, where, where, where I am. So I, I live in Brisbane on the east coast of uh, Australia and Queensland. I still cannot believe how many open water Olympic-sized pools uh, there are here. I've got a sort of an option of four or five pools that I often swim in. And even at peak times, there's two or three people in the water in some of the pools. Yeah, so yeah, there's plenty of pool water. Take me to the Derwent River swim that you did this year. How did you get roped into that? And uh, what was it like? After the um, swim that I did, uh, the, the Rodness Channel swim, in, that was in 2020, that was 20K, so that went really well. Um, then I signed up for the English Channel, uh, but that didn't happen because we couldn't travel, so that got postponed and postponed and postponed. And I thought, what other swim can I, uh, can I do here in Australia that is um, easy to get to? And then I found out about this uh, Derwent River swim. Um, so that that's part of the, um, the triple crown of Australia. So we have a sort of our own triple crown here. There's two, three swims. Uh, one of them is the Derwent uh, River swim. And I thought, yeah, that's the next step up because that's 35 kilometers. The coach that I trained with before, he stopped doing open water coaching. So I found a new coach. He wrote a program uh, for me. I trained long distance swimmers before. So I started swimming with him and that's, uh, yeah, there was a few other swimmers like Caroline, who you met a few times, and we started training uh, uh, together. And that that's good to have uh, have a training buddy, and not only her but also other other swimmers. And started training, reading more about nutrition. I worked again with a, a sports dietitian, uh, so they did a whole nutrition plan. And uh, training went yeah, but so that that, that swim was in uh, in January, the Derwent River swim. The training went fantastic, no injuries. Could really push myself during that swim, and that was fantastic. One thing I wanted to go back to: you said that you found out at uni that you were prone to injuries, but you've managed to keep swimming all this time. What is the secret to keeping swimming, even if you're prone to injuries? The secret is for me to move from uh, sprinting to longer distance. I think the very intense 50 meter sprints that put too much pressure on on my body, and maybe not the uh, in those days, we didn't really have uh, you know, people around you that looked after injuries or that uh, wasn't a lot of physiotherapists and the uh, coach. You know, once you got injured, then you got it solved, but there was no really injury prevention in those days. And that, that's, that's a little bit better now. The coach that I have now understands pains, where they come from, uh, what I should do about it, uh, maybe a little technique change. But I think it's just the marathon swimming, which is, I find easier on the body than the uh, sprinting. Although I'm not saying that my knees or my back or, or shoulders are always fantastic, but uh, yeah, I find, find with the sort of the, uh, I should say that the less, it's, it's less, less intense. It's, it's still at a lower pace. I can, I can sort of manage that pain better than uh, at uh, flat out 30 a 50 sprint a 30 second sprint yeah yeah i feel like i can preserve my form a little bit better if i'm going at a manageable pace versus if i try to go fast i kind of lose my form breaks down when i try to go fast <clears throat> and no starts of this of the of the block no uh super fast the tumble turn so that's gets all going a bit slower <laughs> yeah so no yeah. And yeah, as long as I can pace myself at a lower pace, then the pain stays away. My, my, my back is sometimes not good. And for instance, with the Derwent swim, 
that that was the first time that I started with painkillers even before I I, uh, I jumped in the water. So I was just as a prevention and, uh, and and that went uh, that went really well. So yes, it started with ibuprofen and uh, paracetamol before I even jumped in the water. And then at the regular every four hours, I had a, a top up and that, that uh, I, w- I wasn't in pain before the swim, but just as uh, prevention, you don't want to get in the pain zone when you when you are swimming, and then you have to solve uh, a problem. So that was also a family holiday. So we the whole family went to uh, so the Derwent River is in Tasmania, which is a, a state we were not allowed to say an island south of Australia. It's a state. Uh, it's one of the Australian states. So that's uh, what was it? A two or three hour flight. To Hobart, you and the Derwent River swim behind me is a swim. Um, you start at one bridge and you swim to Hobart, and you finish under another uh, bridge, under the Tasman Bridge. And yeah, that swim went went fantastic. Uh, the nutrition was spot on. The my fitness felt throughout uh, the eight and a half hours to swim uh, uh, fantastic. I had a very good visual as well because. My friend Caroline, who you met, swam the day before me, and I was on the boat supporting her. So I was, I was on the boat throwing bottles or measuring temperature and, and, and helping uh, with, uh, with her support crew. So I knew what, what was coming to me. And um, before that, a few of our friends had swam um, the, uh, the same swim as well. And our skipper, he's fantastic. He's got live feeds on the boat. So you can, from your computer, you can follow the other. Uh, or the swimmers and see what what what's happening. So I had I had a pretty good idea what uh, what was happening. So that was a big bonus. I was well prepared with my training physically and uh, nutrition. And yeah, on uh, D Day Derwent, yeah, well, everything went according to plan. That's great. Tell me what it's like working with a nutritionist. I guess I'm curious because I've not ever worked with a nutritionist before. But in part, I feel like I would lose like i like to kind of spontaneously just eat whatever i want so how strict is the nutritionist with what you with what you can eat and can't eat and um, what's that experience like yeah so so i work with um her name is Sue christian and she runs a uh yeah, a sport dietitian so they uh what they do is based on um past experience with other marathon swimmers uh but also with marathon runners cyclists any any, any yeah, marathon uh, uh, sports. So they uh, use a lot of science as well. Yeah, so everything is sort of based on trial and error. So, so you know, every swimmer or every runner, every cyclist is, is different. So you you have to trial different electrolytes, different energy drinks. The, the starting point is uh, they do a fluid test. You weigh yourself. You swim for an hour at a uh, yeah, moderate uh, pace. After that hour, you weigh yourself again and then you know how much fluid you have uh, lost. So, so based on, uh, on on that fluid loss, you know what you need to take intake per hour, and then uh, you, yes, you start. It's it's trial and error. What works for you? And I love love eating a lot of things, and, and it was really a mind change that I um, had to uh, stop eating but start drinking. So, so we almost only do at the Derwent River. I only did. Uh, I only drank fluids and a few banana pieces here and there. And and just on every thirty minutes, I was pulled towards the boat, did a drink, whether it was electrolytes or energy drink or uh, a milky drink for uh, protein. Yeah, that, that's that's very boring because I like I like to eat lollies and but it, it just takes too much time to chew and uh, so so drinking was so much easier. Yeah. 
I miss chewing things after a while, <laughs> for sure. I think I can get four, six, eight hours, but then I really just want to, I just my, you know, your mouth just gets. Oh, no, <laughs> I no, no. I want to no. chew. I'm completely the same. And um, with this Durban River swim, because of the water flow, even if you would do long, uh, the slow feeds, or if you would chew something or eat some lollies or... Uh, you were still going down the river, but in my mind, I was also I'm also training for the uh, for the English Channel, where super fast feeds right. are important because otherwise tide changes, yeah, yeah, so, and, and and you will uh, be uh, swept uh, to the wrong uh, wrong side. So I was already practicing those uh, fast 20, 30 second feeds, and with fluid, it's so much easier. If you want to have lollies, you probably have to purify them. And, and <laughs> I don't really enjoy that side because I love eating solid things as well. But with the uh, sport dietitian, uh, it's yeah, it's been really fantastic to just get that plan right. So we do, uh, when, when you have a long, long training swim, you try these new things. And w- whatever I did at the Derwin, that, that all, all worked fantastic. So I, I think sort of I'm, uh, yeah, that, that will be my base plan. And based on if the water is colder or longer, then I might tweak a, a few things. But um and that's because I didn't know anything about nutrition. As I said, I I would drink or eat before and after, but not during the swim. Yeah, yeah. And and I've been sick before at longer training swims when I maybe drank too much or not enough, or maybe didn't get enough carbs or got too many carbs. So it's yes, after a training swim where we try new things, we'll then check back with the dietitian and uh, report what went well, what went not well, and then. We make some changes, and that's what I realized. Every, every swimmer is, is different because we all have – Caroline would have different things in her plan, and she worked with the same team than myself. It's all, all trial and error. Yeah, yeah. Well, trial and error, specific for the person. It makes sense. It's kind of like, yeah, I guess how I coach swimmers. You know, I don't give everybody the same plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. depends on what they're working on, you know, in their stroke, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I'm curious. So we, you've gone up the ladder. You did the 5K, the 10K, the 20K, the 34K. What's the English Channel in kilometers? I only know it in miles. Uh, 30, uh, also 34 or 35K in, in, in a straight line. But but uh, re- realistically, with all the current, you'll be swimming um, another extra 25%. The Derwent River and the English Channel, theoretically, they're the same distance. but One of them being down a river with a current. <laughs> exactly. And the other one is uh, battling all different currents. and right. uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when does it stop? Do you just then go 50K, 60K? <laughs> is your wife concerned about it never stopping? <laughs> <laughs> I might not send her the link to this post. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the, no the, the English Channel, um, that's next. and then. My ultimate goal is to swim Cook Strait, which is also one of the Ocean 7 swims. So that's in New Zealand from one island to the other. That's in distance a little bit less than the English Channel, but similar circumstances. And after that, I don't really have any any plans. I don't No, I don't have anything that I would like to achieve. And I know there will be other things. If if the body still can do it, but it might also be um, helping other swimmers uh, achieving their goals because that, that's something that I, I love about open water swimming as well, that as new swimmers, we, we learn from the more experienced swimmers, we get experienced, and then there's new swimmers coming 
Uh, actually, I was swimming yesterday with a friend who swam his first 5K. And that was just a fantastic achievement to, to see him uh, doing that. He had a few goes at it. He didn't make it uh, in previous weekends, but this this weekend uh, he, he swam the 5K, and that was just brilliant to uh, you know see somebody else doing something that they would never think that they could do. And now he is thinking about uh, swimming a 20K next year as well. So we're, you know we're going to sit down and uh, have a think, have a think. And uh, I, I think that's where I didn't finish it, but when I was doing the PE degree and I've been coaching uh, water polo teams and I've coached uh, swim squats uh, before it's it's beautiful to see other people achieving uh, something fantastic and that you help them uh, getting there that that's gives almost the same satisfaction as uh, swimming yourself or uh, achieving your own uh, goal yeah maybe that is my goal to help my friends uh, swimming at 20k yeah it is a beautiful thing about swimming yeah you would know as coach as well that if you can push somebody or help somebody going further than they would ever had thought they they would able to then that's that's hard to describe that's fantastic yeah 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 how do you think marathon swimming has changed you or how has it improved or not improved your life what do you think well the the marathon swimming i think it's there's a lot of camaraderie between uh, swimming friends that 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 has changed but i think swimming in generally i was always as a young young boy i was i didn't have a lot of confidence uh, about myself but then I started doing something that I was really good in and I achieved or you, you swim a personal best or you get selected for the state championships or you make it to the nationals that that gives a confidence uh, a boost and and that really helped with my sort of my confidence in, in, uh, in generally in, in, in life and I think the marathon swimming yeah just to realize that you can achieve more than you ever thought you would be able to achieve yeah i'm with you it's hard to really i mean i know that it it's a great benefit <laughs> to those of us that, that do it but it's hard to really you know other than well i just know it's really it's really great and i love it when i can help people you know think that something's not possible and then exceed their own expectations and that they can do it yeah and i think getting into the marathon swimming just just staying uh, healthy and, and fit uh, uh, as well because when i wasn't swimming for a while because I was still thinking about being a pools swimmer, and I thought, no, I, I cannot do that anymore. Uh, I'm not going to swim in, in in open water because I'll be very slow. And uh, but when when I sort of stopped comparing my second swim life with my first swim life, then I thought, hey, that this is this is pretty good to uh, not only to achieve goals, to stay fit, to meet new people, help them achieve their goals. But it was a bit of a uh, yeah. Mind change, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do your kids swim? They love swimming in the uh, the ocean with their boogie boards and the waves, and they can run in and out of the water all all day. But they're not uh, pool swimmers. When they were uh, three months old, they're yeah, both, I think, around three months old. We went to their first swimming lessons, and I was hoping that they, you know, one day they would be Olympic <laughs> right. Olympians, but yeah. that never happened. They they love swimming, as in playing in the water, not not uh, swimming up and down uh, a black line. I don't know if I could blame them. <laughs> it seems like it'd oh, be more no. fun to just play in the waves. <laughs> to, to be honest, when they were born, and I, and and I thought about it, and I wasn't really swimming myself, and I thought, what if they become pool swimmers, and I have to go to the pool with them at four a.m. in the, in the morning? <laughs> right. Because in the Netherlands, sort of the. Uh, well, we, we did swim around 5 a.m., I think, 
before we went to school. But but life just starts later in, in the day. Here, here we were always swimming early in the morning. When the kids were born, I was still sort of in the Dutch time zone. So I, I couldn't even imagine how people would be swimming at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. in the morning. 7 a.m., that's when the day started. But that's, that has changed now. Yeah, I hear you. Any last bit of advice for an aspiring marathon swimmer? Surround yourself with positive people. Doesn't only go for marathon swimming. I think that's that's a lot. That, that's my life motto. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to surround yourself with with positive people, but also yeah, surround yourself with, if possible, with experienced people that have done those longer swims that you can learn from. You can learn a lot from swimmers. I, I always was a fast, good swimmer, but I didn't know anything about marathon swimmer. But when I started hanging out with these marathon swimmers, then I thought. Yeah, that, that's something that uh, that I could uh, could achieve as well. So yeah, it's hang around with uh, experienced and positive people if if you can. So surround yourself with it and ask questions. You know, how how does nutrition work, or uh, how how much do you train, or what sort of training uh, do you do? Ask questions. Positive people. Yep, that's good advice. And find a good coach, probably find a good coach because somebody that looks sort of a little bit from a distance at you. Yeah, it looks from a different uh, different angle at you. Uh, um, it's it's probably a good thing as well. Yeah, someone who can help you. It's hard to see our own, I guess, areas where we need to improve sometimes, and so we can surround ourselves with really positive people, which is a great idea. But we also need to know where we can make improvements, and having just a community that you that supports you is great. If I didn't have these other marathon swimmers around me, and uh, then I probably wouldn't be doing this, to be honest. I know other people would be that they're, they're, they're motivated enough to swim always by themselves or get up in the early in the morning and, and swim swim by themselves. So, but I, I I don't think I would be one of them. I need those other people around me. And we've got I've got a few different swim groups uh, that I swim with. Uh, so I meet different people at different uh, groups. But yeah, I I really need those uh, people to uh, keep my, keep myself uh, motivated as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys have an awesome network down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're very lucky here. Yeah, very cool. Thank you for sharing your story today, Yuf. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Shannon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you were inspired by even just a moment of this story, please share it with a friend. You never know what might push someone out of their comfort zone so that they can find out what they're capable of. And please leave a review with your podcast provider. It truly helps others discover the raw and honest stories of these amazing endurance swimmers. Thanks for listening.